0: Hello and welcome to the show that don't stop for no man flu. On today's show, we don't know where they're going but we sure know where they've been. Queen's Park Rangers owner Tony Fernandez has been tweeting about his project. What is that project? Someone who knows that club inside out is here to tell us. This weekend we sent Matt Stanger to Cambridge and he might have uncovered a star. Who is Giovanni Brown? Where did he come from? Why is he so good? Find out more later. And what's going on at Rotherham? Last spotted spiralling out of the championship, they're making a playoff push. And they've gone goal crazy in the process. All of that, a bit of fan league, your questions and that lovely round-up music on today's Totally Football League show. Hello, hello Matt Stanger. Good morning Ian. How are you?
1: I'm very good, thank you. Be- better than you, I think.
0: <laughs> Probably just a bit. I think yeah. I've lost about three stone and sneeze.
2: That is disgusting, isn't
0: it? What a way to open. Chris Ramsey is in the studio. How are you?
2: Very good, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Not a problem Glad at all.
0: You- you've turned up with piles of notes.
2: Just yeah. That already just, puts I'm you off. Sure. To... When you start getting to my age, you start getting that. <laughs> the memory isn't the best. <laughs>
0: Well, thank you so much for coming in. We're going to talk uh, a lot about QPR as we go forward, but not before we've rounded up the championship. Wolves maintain their grip on the top of the table but they were given a bit of a scare by Preston North End who came back from 3-0 down to 3-2. Wolves held on though and a good job because Cardiff kept up the pace in second place beating Middlesbrough 1-0 away at the Riverside. Poor old Borough aren't quite smashing this division yet, they're down in 13th. And Steve Cottrell's honeymoon at Birmingham is over. They were beaten 2-0 by Millwall. Matt. John Terry scored his first goal
1: for Aston Villa and Albert Adoma grabbed his fifth of the campaign to give Steve Bruce's side a narrow 2-1 win over Fulham. Hull hadn't won on the road since August 2016 but they beat Barnsley 1-0 Oakwell thanks to Fraser Campbell's late finish. And Idrissa Silla denied bottom club Bolton back-to-back wins after the QPR striker cancelled out Darren Prattley's opener for the Trotters.
0: Sheffield United continue to bang on the door to the Premier League. Their 2-1 victory over Reading keeps them third, four points ahead of fourth place Leeds. Yapstam's side are down to 20th. And how much did Nottingham Forest need this, a 2-0 win over Burton? It's not always the sort of result to justify a length for the pitch celebration, but it did for Eric Lehigh and Forest. These have been troubled times. And we were discussing him last week, he's certainly on the map now. James Madison's winner for Norwich away at Ipswich was another sign of this young man's talent. How long is he staying in this division? In a season that started to resemble sideshow Bob stepping on a series of rakes,
1: Sumlin threw away a 3-1 lead at Brentford to draw 3-3. A Samuel Syce double inside the first quarter of an hour set Leeds on the way to an impressive 3-0 win at Bristol City. A fierce contest boiled over in the closing stages, when a heated clash between Gaetano Berardi and Matty Taylor saw both teams end the match with 10 men. While Sheffield Wednesday suffered a double whammy of going a goal down and a man down when Glenn Luvens fouled Matic Vidra in the box in the fourth minute. Vidra took on the penalty and Bradley Johnson added second to give Derby a 2-0 win.
0: Okay, Queen's Park Rangers, um, a one-all draw away at Bolton Wanderers, bottom placed at Bolton Wanderers. Doesn't look like much, but in the conditions that that game was played in, howling wind and driving rain, it's probably going to be quite a good point. And um, we've got quite a good guest to discuss QPR. It's Chris Ramsey, a former Brighton & Hove Albion player, played in the 1983 FA Cup final. The first one, drawing of Ron Atkinson's Man United at Wembley, Injured for the replay and without in Brighton crashed to a 4 0. So you were clearly missed that day. It would appear so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Went to Swindon, played briefly for Southend before heading off to Malta and the US and then returning to work for the FA in various capacities, including as a scout for Kevin Keegan when he was in charge. Uh, Another stint in the US followed and then you went to Spurs for 10 years Mm -hmm. and then a 2014 academy manager at QPR. You took temporary charge of the team after the resignation of Harry Redknapp in 2015. Uh, and then permanent charge um, and then no longer permanent charge uh, you got the bullet that winter but two months later you
2: were back which, which hardly ever happens uh, yeah well basically what it was there was a project uh, put into place before I, I took over as the manager obviously very difficult to go back when you've, you know your prize dented when you've been a manager and then you, you leave and come back but uh, working with Les Les uh, Ferdinand who brought me to the club in the first place uh, you know, told uh, Tony Fernandez about about me and uh, we'd set a project before that. But, um, you know, I had to swallow my pride because w- one thing is if when you start a project, it takes a long time to do. And and the club outlined that they wanted a long-term project to to sort of emulate, you know, what uh, what we'd done at Tottenham and uh, what, you know, the likes of the Southamptons and teams such alike have done. And um, I thought it was a good idea to come back. I knew the people there already. Uh, they'd shown a lot of faith in me already by, by giving me the job and, and showing that they they trusted me with that. And uh, I had to swallow my pride um, and and really look to my professional pride as what to do next for my career. And I, and it's something that I that I enjoy and that um, I like, you know, developing players. Um, and and I've gone back into it.
0: Was there a little awkwardness at first between you and Les, or all
2: no, not, out? not really, because. Um, I mean, I, I think it's probably harder for him than it was for me. Because, um, you know, when you're you're working with your, your mate and uh, then you've, you've got to deliver the news, I think that's going to be a very difficult situation. You know, for, for in the two months I went away, I had a long, long uh, think about my career and uh, I spoke to Les a lot during that time. And, you know, we'd put, put the project together at the beginning and we we just went back to it. So what what is your role? Um, uh, I'm the technical director at the moment and the academy manager which means uh basically I, I uh, deal with most of the stuff outside the first team as regards the recruitment and uh making sure that the team's playing in a developmental fashion that produces players.
0: Um we've we've already seen um in the process of our research for this show, lots of people speaking very fondly uh, of you and your work at QPR. We've also had Tottenham fans in touch asking if you'd ever go back because of your work in a similar role there. You must be, you know, very proud of, of what's happened there.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was very proud of, of you know, we started off a project in 2005, um, of which I was the assistant academy manager. There worked with some good players there, uh, um, but not good teams. We didn't win every game, but we we had some good players that uh, worked with John McDermott. Who who brought me in, and then fortunately for the club, uh, Tim Sherwood and Les Ferdinand came to the club, and uh, my role changed, and I was uh, I was assisted them in in working with the development squad, which you can see the fruits of it now.
0: Yeah, and and QPR has always been very good for for youth development, hasn't it? Um, though some players have have left probably earlier than you would have liked I think Raheem Sterling in, in particular so your job now is to is to oversee that for the future
2: Yeah, oversee that for the future hopefully work with Ian, um, uh, Mark Bertram and Curtis Fleming uh, to, to try to get the players in there um, both Curtis and Mark have had a developmental background so they understand how difficult it is to get players into the first team so far, so good as regards Ian's openness to, to the players training with the with, with the first team and I'm sure when things settle down that there's going to be opportunities for them.
1: Is there anyone that's really stood out so far? I see Darnell Furlong's been given a few games, Ryan Manning as well. We've got some on loan,
2: we've got uh, a player called Ibere, um who's at uh, Wickham He's a, he's a fantastic prospect. But, you know, we've, we've got quite a few players that have been involved with the first team. You know, we've got uh, Mide Shadipu, he's, he's been involved. We've got Osman Kaikai. We've got Ilyas Che. There's a lot of players pushing to, to get to the first team. And um, all they need is to see that light at the end of the tunnel, which, like I said, um, Ian's allowed them to train with the first team, which shows that he's open minded towards it.
0: Of course, QPR could do have a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel um, at the moment because it's uh, it's a sticky run, isn't it? It's five draws and two defeats in the last seven games. Does a sense it's not quite happening at the moment?
2: Well, the draws, you know, can go either way, and we just need someone to go on a little purple patch of scoring. Um, we've dominated a lot of the games. Uh, it's been very exciting. I mean, we've had two away draws, which, you know, people might say, well, you play Sunderland and Bolton. But any away draw is is a good point. You know, you look at the end of the season and those draws will be important.
0: Matt, you saw the draw um, at the weekend and the conditions were hideous. If that game had kicked off at four, it wouldn't have finished. They'd have had to abandon it.
1: Yeah, it was horrible weather, wasn't it? And not really the sort of ideal conditions for QPR to play that passing game that they try and do from the back there. And like Chris says, they dominated uh, the possession. I think they had 65% possession, three times as many passes as Bolton. And they kept the ball really well, but they perhaps just lacked a bit of cutting edge up front. I think uh, Idrissa Silla perhaps didn't have his best game before he scored the equaliser, which was a great finish, by the way. Improvised flick finish through uh, David Wheater's legs. But before that, he struggled to keep the ball and and hold on to it in the final third and bring players in. And I think that's because the conditions were so awful, really. It was just
2: bouncing off everyone. Yeah, Chris, this division's hideous as well, isn't it? It's unbelievable and relentless division. Most of the teams in there have had Premier League football and most of the owners uh, think it's their right to have it again, um, as do the fans. But uh, that's a a very, very difficult division to to get out of. I mean, the whole of the Football League is difficult to progress from, but if you look at the size of the clubs that that are in there and look at the prize that they're aiming for, it, it makes it all that more harder. Um, across our studies of the Football League this season, we've, we've seen teams like
0: Wolves and Shrewsbury and Sheffield United. Their success is built on many things, but most of all, really good spirit, really good work ethic in the team. That isn't something that has been one of QPR's chief characteristics in, in recent years. So was Ian Holloway the, the kind of perfect character to bring in for a troubled club?
2: Well, he'd been an icon of the club in the past and everyone sees him on Sky every weekend. He's got a lot of character, a lot of passion for the game, and he's got uh, his knowledge is 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 vast of the teams and the, the way that people play. And uh, you know, obviously, he's he was a player for a long time himself. He's had uh, nearly a thousand games, I think. So he's been a manager for nineteen years. You know, I think at the time, you know, it's very difficult to pick the perfect candidate, and you know, he's working hard to make sure that the club gets back to where. It, where it should be, really. He's got a, a very different task
0: now, hasn't he? Because uh, the days of the massive spending, enormous wages, are, mm. are very firmly over. Is this the most competitive you've ever seen in this division with teams like Wolves and Villa and Borough and Leeds?
2: Yeah, I think over the, over the past few years of when the, the Premiership was started, it's made it that more competitive because people are coming down with parachute money. Clubs are big in their own right. You know, some clubs who were financially stable still went down. So uh, I think it's going to get worse. Well, worse for the, for the teams with no money.
0: <laughs> and how long before this turns around? Um, you've got ah, Wolves and Sheffield United coming up next. So you couldn't really ask for two harder games.
2: No, but I mean, I think, you know, in, in the same way that we should have probably uh, um, got the points in the last two games, we were unlucky not to with the way we dominated the games. I can't see Ian having any fear about playing those teams. He'll go out with his game plan as he has done all season and um, obviously there'll be a healthy respect as there always should be with teams near the top of the league but um, I can't see him having any fear of those games
0: Matt, you've been watching QPR, uh, most recent games do you think think they're not too far away from turning this around? Yeah, well they're two tricky fixtures for sure but I think they certainly have some
1: talented players in the team Ian Holloway has been quite inventive with his tactics again And um, he played a back through at the weekend against Bolton which he's used on a few occasions uh, this season I think it's really just a case of finding a goal scorer to come to the fore. They've got four players on three goals each at the moment, Matt Smith, Adrisa Silla, Connor Washington and Jamie Mackey. And if one of those can go on a bit of a run and start banging them in a bit more consistently, then, yeah, they could start to rise to the table.
0: Off the pitch, there's been talk of a new stadium, of a new training ground. Are we getting closer to seeing that?
2: Well, you know, when you're trying to build any, any sort of um, complex in London, it's very difficult and we're working hard to get over those legislations slowly but surely we're moving in the right direction
0: fantastic good to hear right after the break we'll be playing fan league and then we'll be moving on to league one listeners you like stats and so do i so have a bang on this one 81 percent of men who try the cornerstone razor don't go back to their old one i know Find out more and get £10 off your first order and free delivery too at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. It's time to play Fan League, or at least it is for Matt, not for Chris, because as a serving employee at a football club, you can have no part in this. Of I so please don't think us rude as we just talk away without you. It still feels rude. Um, You know Fan League by now. It's an app. You've searched for it in the App Store. You type in Fan League and every week you get a slip with 13 games on it and all you have to do is pick home win, away win or draw. Now, just over half of these fixtures are Premier League and you don't need any help there. But the others are Championship and ironically we need help and yet we still presume to supply it to you. First game on the slip is QPR Wolves. Matt, speak freely. Well, it's...
1: Definitely a difficult fixture for QPR. <laughs> We've just discussed the recent form. They haven't won in seven games now, but they haven't really been losing too many. They've only lost two out of uh, those seven, drawn the other five. Perhaps a draw for this one is, uh, you know, looks like a, a decent suggestion, I, but I do think Wolves have been in some form, and although they weren't, as fluent at the weekend against uh, Preston as they were in the previous victory against Aston Villa, there's still so much quality in that side. I'd actually quite like to see David Wheeler given more of a chance of QPR. It'd be interesting to see him uh, receiving a chance under Ian Holloway. He uh, scored on his first start of the season against Middlesbrough, but he's only played 11 minutes since then, so perhaps he's someone who could come in and shake things up, Signed from Exeter City in the summer, and uh, a bit like Ollie Watkins at Brentford, perhaps a player who could... Uh, you know, climb up from Exeter to the Championship and, and do well.
0: Chris, in a way that is thoroughly unrelated to anything involving gaming, can we ask you about David Wheeler? What, what sort of a talent is he?
2: No, he's, he's an NJSEC player. I mean, he, he's one that uh, is remarkably good in the air for his size, um, and, he, and he's got that knack, that uncoachable uh, goal scoring knack, which w- we probably need to see coming to the front now.
0: Fantastic. Well, in midweek, Wolves have Man City and the caribou, Carabao, Carabao, caribou, Carabao in the League Cup. That might just distract him. I'm going to stick it down for a draw as well. You never know. Um, up next, Norwich, fresh from their triumph over Ipswich on Sunday. They're playing Derby, who have found some form since we covered them on the Totally Football League show. Matt, who's going to back down here? Well, Norwich are unbeaten for eight games now since that 4-0 thrashing at Millwall in August. So
1: they really look like a side in form. Great win at the weekend, James Madison on target again. I can't really see past them for this one.
0: No, Derby's away record isn't too good. So I'm going home win here as well. Uh, Cardiff against Millwall. Cardiff still second in the table, recovered from that little slip up. Millwall just keep picking up weird results, 2-0 over Birmingham. Um, they beat Reading quite recently as well. You can never quite call Millwall. Yeah, that was a good scoreline against uh, Birmingham at home at the weekend,
1: but I don't think they travel quite as well. They had a couple of results earlier in the season where they perhaps played better than uh, what they got, but I think going to Cardiff with the way they've been doing this season, Neil Warnock, it's, it's a tough test.
0: Yeah, I think I'm, I'm going home win. I'm going to play safe there. Uh, then we've got Hull, who won away. Finally, against Nottingham Forest, who won? Finally, so two teams in good spirits. Um, I'm, I'm going Hull. I keep every time I see Leonard Slutsky's Hull, I think it, they're going to click at some point. They're going to click and they'll make a push for the playoffs. Yeah,
1: and they've been scoring a lot of goals this season as well, especially at home. So I could see them perhaps actually winning this one back by, by a few. To be honest, oh here. really. Yeah, I think Nottingham Forest have got uh, quite a young side this season, and they've played some good stuff at times. But Mark Warburton said a bit of patience is needed there, really, for the team to to gel and for these young players to to grow in confidence. So uh, I think Hull could could win this one by a couple of goals, definitely.
0: You know, Nigel Clough was getting questions about Nottingham Forest, which seemed a bit rude, seeing that Mark Warburton's still in charge. Yeah, I thought that as well. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but, he, um, but he didn't he didn't flat out deny them, did he? No, he said perhaps in future. I mean, he was
1: offered the job, wasn't he, last year, and mm. uh, and turned it down to stay at Burton. where he's done a superb job since returning there. But uh, yeah, I think it was it was an interesting one to to be asked that when Mark Warburton's not been too long in the post.
0: Absolutely. Now Birmingham Villa, um, Villa back to winning ways after their um, kind of embarrassment at, at Wolves. They were so profoundly outclassed there. Um, but a goal for John Terry. Uh, a two-one win over Fulham, one of the one of the big teams there. Can they beat Birmingham?
1: Well, I'm glad this one's on a slippy, in because I, I seem to think last week there was only one person who predicted a Aston Villa victory against Fulham.
0: I can't remember who that was. <laughs> a rare but,
1: triumph. Savor it. Savor it. Yeah, Villa are doing really well. They've got Albert Adoma, who's in the form of his career. Really, he's scored five goals so far. But not only does he does he do brilliantly going forward, he's also great tracking back as well I think he's made one of the highest number of tackles per game for, for Villa this season he's just got this knack of, of as well of finding space in the box he's one of those wide players that always fills in and makes sure he's at the back post wherever the ball's on the other side coming across which he did at the weekend for his winner so I, I can actually see Villa edging this one against Birmingham in what's probably going to be quite a heated game
0: Lovely stuff. I think, yeah, I think I'll go for Villa on that as well. If you want to play with us, I believe there were a couple of technical issues. They've all been fixed now. So if you search Ian McIntosh and link up with me, I'll ping you an invite to our own fan league, um, which is getting quite crowded now, about 150 people um, on board. So uh, so get on to that. That is the fan league. After this, it's League One. Right, League One, Shrewsbury, they're still at it, snatching a last gasp win over Fleetwood, and they're holding top spot in the division. They're still unbeaten. Scunthorpe's role in this podcast so far has been to provide spirited opposition but lose to whoever we're going to focus on later in the week. So, kind of delighted to report the end of their five game winless streak with a 2 1 victory over Peterborough. They're a better side than they're given credit for, Scunthorpe. Six without a win for Peterborough, though. Don't know what's gone wrong there. And, uh, oh, oh, look, that's a South End win. Courtesy of a Ryan Leonard late goal against Bury. Nice.
1: I'll tell you what's gone wrong at Peterborough again. We went to visit them. Oh, it's yeah. the curse of the totally Football League show You've again. done it again good news for Plymouth, they won a game at last, beating Wimbledon 1-0. Bad news for Plymouth, they're still bottom of five points adrift of safety. <laughs> Blackburn beat Portsmouth 3-0, proving that they saved their crap performances, losing 1-0 to Oldham for example, for the games I can get to. And Wigan fans were ready to slam Dunkley after the Latics defender gifted Blackpool the lead. He then scored two of his own in a 3-1 victory for the visitors
0: beautifully done. We could not have lobbied any harder for Richie Wellens to get the olden job, so you can imagine our delight when the Sexy Owls took a 4-2 lead away at MK Don's, before squandering it and slinking off with a 4-0 draw. There was another high-scoring encounter and you'll be hearing more about it later, as Rotherham increased their away goals tally by nearly 50% with a 3-0 draw at Oxford, and there was some much-needed good news for Rochdale boss Keith Hill as his side beat Bristol Rovers 1-0.
1: Charlton had goalkeeper Ben Amos to thank for keeping Bradford at bay in a 1-0 win at Valley Parade. And hooray, there was a win for Northampton at last. Matt Grimes cracking in a brilliant free kick to win a 2-1 victory of fellow strugglers Gillingham.
0: Right, let's find out about Rotherham. You all know the history of Rotherham? Of course I do. No yeah no of you. there we go, there it is. Rotherham United were united in 1925, being that they were the fruit of a merger between a team that started out as Thornhill Football Club and became Rotherham County and another that started out as a magnificently named Lunar Rovers. In 1878, like a Rotherham Jules Verne. Lunar Rovers later became Rotherham Town. Anyway, those crazy kids got together in 1925 and joined the 3rd Division North. They went up to the second flight in 51 and only just missed out on the top flight in 55 thanks to goal average. In 1961, Rotherham were the runners-up of the first ever League Cup final. In a two-legged affair that was played across August and September of the following season because of fixture congestion, Rotherham beat Villa 2-0 only to lose in the second leg 3-0 after extra time. And it went downhill a bit from there. Though they did the double over Chelsea in 81-82, beating them 6-0 and 4-1 that season. In 96, they won the Football League Trophy, beating Shrewsbury at Wembley. And in 97, Ronnie Moore arrived, kick-starting an era of glorious success, back-to-back promotions, four seasons in the second flight. They came down in 05, then again in 07, financial chaos. And then it was back-to-back promotions again in 2013 and 2014 under Steve Evans. But after three difficult seasons in the second flight, they came down hard this year with just 23 points. But they might be going back up again, Matt. Yeah,
1: they might be. Yeah. They're in the playoff positions at the moment. Uh, they've won eight games so far, lost six. And that was their first draw at the weekend against Oxford, 3-3. And they came from behind 3-1 in that game to rescue a point. So they've got Kiefer Moore starting up front for them this season on loan from Ipswich. He's scored 11 goals in 15 games. And really, when you have a striker in that sort of form, you can definitely put a run of results together.
0: Chris, did you come up against Rotherham last season? They were having a stinker, weren't
2: they? Yeah, they had a bad time last season. I think we we had quite um, a good especially the home result was quite good against them last, last season. I mean, it's been very difficult for them. You know, there's been uh, talks of financial difficulties and, you know, the, re- the rest is history.
0: What, what What's it like behind the scenes when you get a club in that much crisis, they, they come to you? You must, so on the one hand, be thinking, <laughs> three points and on the other, you know, feel a bit awkward because they're in such disarray. Well, to be,
2: to be honest with you, there's, a little, there's probably a little bit of pressure because you're expected to win, aren't you? And expected to win well, so uh, which which uh, Ian was uh, fortunate to, to do last year.
0: Uh, they are going goal crazy this season. Um, they picked uh, they scored five against Southend. Thank you, five against Walsall, five against Oldham, twenty-one at home in total. Just four away until this weekend, though. And um, Matt, what a game it was.
1: It was a brilliant game, wasn't it? Yeah, they took the lead uh, and then went 3-1 down in the first half, got a goal back just before half-time and then piled the pressure on the second half. Kiefer Moore hit the crossbar, looked like it Perhaps wasn't going to go for them. And then Joe Newell played one of the passes of the season, actually. He played this brilliant ball down the left wing to, to Williams, who scored the second goal early in the game, and he crossed it, and there at the back post, who else but Kiefer Moore to knock on the equaliser.
0: Yeah, it uh, says a lot about the spirit there, that they could come back from that, because they could have been 4-1 down at the break um, after that Ryan Ledson missed penalty. Uh, manager Paul Warren said afterwards, um, I felt... That uh, during that bad spell, we just needed to get to half time. It was a little like damage limitation. When we got to half time, we told them what we thought. Quite obviously, have you given any team talks like that, Chris? A few
2: hair dryers. Yeah, telling uh, them what you think. Quite obviously. Well, I think people need to be turned, told sternly at times uh, exactly what you mean. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't that
0: imagine it. it you <laughs> seem so nice.
2: Are you? One, are you one for,
0: for teacups crashing uh, across those the dressing
2: days are, Those days are gone now. Those you really can't do that now. Uh, you just, you know, you just. Dealing with a different type of human being now, so um, I think you have to be politically correct in in how you speak to players a little bit more.
0: Well, whatever Paul Warren said, it certainly worked, um, and he's he's had an interesting time. He played over 250 times for Rotherham, uh, joined the coaching staff in 2012, and then stepped in last season when Kenny Jackett left after just 39 days. Um, just four wins for him that season. Now That was four times as many as the club had secured already that season. He um, really seems to have picked him up. Mike Tango gets in touch on Twitter, Chris. He said, how hard is it to step up from the coaching staff to the number one position?
2: It is quite difficult because um, if you're on the coaching staff, you have a different relationship with the players. So um, the manager is a l- probably a little bit more distant and the coaching staff do the running around and make sure everybody's okay. And then you go from that to now having to be a little bit more removed because you're making the harsh decisions. And most most of the coaching staff don't make the final decision, and the players know that, so they can be closer to you.
0: Did you um, did you have any kind of you know you've got to call me boss moment or anything like that? I think the players just do. Yeah,
2: they just do because uh, you know some of them you you would have been closer to, and some of them you wouldn't have been. So I think the, the players just just find that that's the right way to, to address you.
1: We've not had our you've got to call me boss moment yet, have we, Ian?
2: No, no,
0: not yet, because you yeah. just know. <laughs> <laughs> Even my cat wouldn't call me boss. Um, we uh, yeah, we, we have watched a, a couple of Rotherham games. One, one of the players who's impressed most this season wasn't actually there at the weekend, Darren Potter, um, who's made me feel really old because he's 32 now. I remember him playing for Rafa Benitez at Liverpool um, ages and ages ago. Um, he's He's been really decent for Rotherham this season, hasn't he, Matt? Yeah, he's played well for them. Uh, Obviously brings a lot of experience from his time at MK
1: Dons in this division. And perhaps the sort of player you need when you drop down through the divisions like Rotherham have, uh, suffering relegation last season. You need a few experienced heads to try and stabilise things there. They've actually got Richie Towell on loan in midfield as well from Brighton he didn't have the best game I wouldn't say at the weekend I think he was perhaps partly responsible for a couple of Oxford's goals there in the first half but Joe Newell in midfield he did play very well so uh, you could see Pat slotting in alongside him.
0: Yeah Paul Warren said of uh, of Joe Newell that he needs to be more angry he feels like he needs to give him a punch in the face before he gets him on the pitch but as, as you've said he does recognise he can't do that anymore have you ever had players like that that you have to really rile? Yeah I mean every
2: oh, the old cliche everybody needs something different and uh... Sometimes when things are not going well, you you want to treat everybody the same, but um, it, it appears that whatever he he said at halftime works.
0: And uh, Kiefer Moore, who is a man you wouldn't want to hit, slap, or do anything to, because he's six foot five. He is on loan from Ipswich, as Matt said earlier. Eleven goals already in 15 games. Uh, Rotherham want him permanently, unsurprisingly, or failing that, at least until the end of the season, because I think they've only got until January. Um, Mick McCarthy was present at Rotherham's defeat to Wimbledon in midweek, checking up on his on his striker. He's 25. He's not you know 17, 18 year old kid. He's 25. One uh, said, I'll speak to him and see if I can know which way the water is flowing, if you see what I mean, which I think we do. Um, Matt, how good is he? He's been brilliant for Rotherham, yeah, he's been
1: absolutely superb. He played 11 games for which he didn't manage a goal uh, in his time then. There wasn't really that much that stood out, I don't think, about his career in non league before then. He. Uh, was signed for only £10,000 for Forest Green Rovers who were obviously promoted last season and he'd spent a bit of time on loan at Torquay as well where, where he'd scored a few goals and that was the first time he'd actually kind of banged them in on a bit of a consistent basis so I mean hat tip to whoever spotted him at Ipswich because you wouldn't necessarily suggest from his stats alone that he was really doing the business every week in, in non-league but but since he's joined Rotherham he's just you know in the form of his life and uh, he's scored all sorts of different goals and at six foot five, like you say, he's a, he's a real handful in, in the box, but he's quite an agile player as well. He's, his movement's good and uh, it's not, you know, a typical kind of target man, six foot five centre forward in, in League One there. And yeah, I, I could see it's trying to get him back because they've perhaps struggled for goals in the last three games and, uh, you know, Mick McCarthy could do with reinforcements.
0: Chris, over the last 15, 20 years, I think we've all become a bit obsessed by finding like the next 17, 18 year old to drop into the first team is it still the case that players can be late bloomers and not really hit their stride like, like Jamie Vardy being the obvious example but also here like Kiefer Moore
2: Yeah I mean I was fortunate to work on that Jamie Vardy project which has produced three or four players that have gone into the league and I think it's important to, to realise that some players do miss out from uh, you know unfortunate circumstances you know, uh, you know the right timing is very very important and I think more and more uh, clubs are going to spread that net a bit, bit, um, a bit wider now.
1: Yeah, I think there's like quite a few players that are doing well in the football league this season that started out in non-league. And you know Kiefer Moore's sort of chief among them, but you've got Stephen Payne at Shrewsbury, who was at Barnsley uh, after they spotted him at Dover. Uh, didn't quite work out for him at Barnsley, but he's he's got six goals for Shrewsbury now, obviously top of the league and flying in League One. Uh, Caden Jackson, another one who Barnsley picked up from non-league, uh, from Wrexham, I think he was at previously. He scored six goals for Accrington Stanley. and has been in. Uh, brilliant form as well Christian Dennis is doing well at Chesterfield Mohamed Issa who's doing well at Stevenage so there's, there's a lot of players here that have come from non-league and they're perhaps like you say blooming later in their careers in the
2: mid-twenties and uh, they're, they're doing really well Yeah I think that, they, that they've got that hung out maybe it's a bit of um, a wake-up call from some of them that you know they're doing a job that they probably don't want to do And uh, when they get the opportunity, they grab it with both hands. That's why the the V9 project was very very eye-opening for me, especially because I've never really worked in non-league. But uh, to see the hunger on some of those players that wanted to to, um, get an opportunity to uh, live their dream was uh, really good.
0: Well, Rotherham will have an opportunity to get back into winning ways because it is after that 3-0 draw and the defeat to Wimbledon. It's two games without a win now. Um, But they've got Gillingham at home at the weekend. Gillingham were beaten at home by Northampton, um, which is a terrible result. They're second from bottom. A really good chance for Rotherham to get back in the goals. Um, If you want to go and see that, well, I'll tell you how. Tickets are between twenty three and twenty five pounds so you will pay two pound extra if you don 't book them in advance uh Rotherham are another club to call young people juveniles, which always seems a bit odd um it's between thirteen and seventeen, and tickets are eight to nine pound under thirteen to six to seven pound. You can drive to Rotherham, you sure as hell can't park there. There's an NCP in town, but why not let the train take the strain? You can see the ground from the station, and that station is Rotherham Central. And uh, 70% of the borough, producer Ben tells me, is rural with beautiful countryside and attractive picturesque villages, so you can make a day of it. Producer Ben would also like to tell me that there are a number of famous people from Rotherham, including William Hay, Gordon Banks, David Seaman, Herbert Chapman, and the Chuckle Brothers. Who's your favourite, Matt?
1: It's quite an eclectic mix, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> Um, well, I like the comedians William Hague and the Chuckle Brothers.
0: Whey.
2: <laughs> Chris, big fan of the Chuckle D- Brothers. D- D- no, Robert Chapman. That's going to be the one for me. Oh, careful! No, you might no, out I yourself know. there. I might
0: out <laughs> uh, he revolutionised the game, didn't he? <laughs> That's rather. And then, after the break, we'll be looking at League Two.
3: Gentlemen. Are you feeling a bit crap? Well, you're not alone. Everyone does at some point. But the thing people don't realise is just how common it is in chaps like you and me. Last year, 76% of all the suicides in Britain were male. That's 4,287 men, a figure not much smaller than the average League 2 attendance last season. On average, 12 men take their own life every single day, meaning that the leading cause of death for men under 45 in the UK is suicide. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. There's still a strong social stigma around depression and suicide and this can often stop men from opening up and seeking help when they need it. That's why we at the Totally Football Shows are working with Calm. They're the Campaign Against Living Miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide in the UK. Every day from 5pm till midnight they provide a free confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website and a free magazine packed with the kind of information you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough time, as well as some cracking stuff on comedy, bands, film and, of course, football too. So if you are feeling crap, find Calm at thecalmzone.net for support and some straight-up
0: manspiration. Time for the League Two round-up. Producer Ben, hit the music. Neil Aspin is enjoying quite the new manager bounce at Port Vale. It's three wins in four for him now after a shock 1-0 victory away at early pace setters Exeter. Vale are only 11 points off the playoffs now, 31 games to play, 100-1 for promotion. What kind of madman would take that bat? Hello. <laughs> Hello, Matt. 100-1. How much did you put on it? Uh, just a fiver. OK. Well, you could probably get shorter odds than that on Accrington Stanley. They're third now after a 2-0 win over Crew, And as the bottom of the table grows tenser still, Morecambe may come to value the point they gained in a wet and windy goalless draw with Grimsby. It's now nine games without a win for Barnett in
1: League Two after Otis Kant snatched a late equaliser for Yeovil at the Hive. While Cambridge cared little for Chesterfield's tippy-tappy football at the Abbey Stadium, coming from behind to beat Jack Leicester's side 2-1. Notts County missed the chance to reclaim top spot with a 1-1 draw away to Carlisle.
0: What was notable about Carlisle striker Shaw Miller missing this one? Let us know at the Totally Show. After Steve Evans responded to his Mansfield team's midweek victory over Barnet by saying, you don't have to tell Steve Evans that wasn't a Steve Evans team performance against Swindon, but that was a Steve Evans performance tonight. It falls to me today to tell Steve Evans that Mansfield failed to offer a Steve Evans performance against Newport. They drew one all. Swindon edged back into the playoff places, ending Wickham's six-match unbeaten streak thanks to a Harry Smith volley. And we have back-to-back away wins for biodegradable Forest Green Rovers as they follow up their win at Coventry with another over Stevenage. In the realm of mid-table obscurity, Cheltenham moved
1: up two whole places to 14th with a 1-0 win over Lincoln. And Coventry haven't scored in four matches, drawing 0-0 at home to Colchester. They need striker duckins Nason to uh, break his duck. And Harry Crawley, TM, also drew nil-nil with high-flying Luton.
0: Lovely stuff. On, then, to Cambridge, because football was invented in Cambridge, to a certain extent. The first official game of football with rules similar to the rules we use now was played on Parker's Peace, a public park in the middle of the city. And these rules, appropriately dubbed the Cambridge Rules, were first used here in 1848 and were the basis for the Football Association's rules in 1863. Every day's a school day. Cambridge, though, are relative newcomers to the Football League. Though they've been in existence since 1912, under the name of Abbey United until 1951, they weren't elected into the 4th Division until 1970. They replaced Bradford Park Avenue. Uh, They appointed one Ron Atkinson as manager in 1974, won back-to-back promotions in 77 and 78, reaching the second flight and staying there until 1984. Golden era... Nothing in comparison to what happened in the 1990s. Led by Maverick manager John Beck and powered by the goals of Dion Dublin, they soared from the 4th to the 3rd to the 2nd and very nearly to the Premier League in successive seasons, only just falling short and missing out in the playoffs. Beck left the following season and down-crashed Cambridge, two relegations in three years. In 2005, after 35 years in the Football League, they slipped out altogether. But after nine chastening seasons on the non-league scene, they bounced back in 2014 and have since consolidated themselves as a fourth-flight side. For now, anyway, because, Matt, they're only two points off the playoffs.
1: They're only two points off the playoffs, but I think it's probably going to be quite a big ask for them to, to get into the top seven this season. They've actually only scored 16 goals. And, you know, you look at like sides around them, like Accrington Stanley and Luton towards the top end of the division, and they score so many that, really, I think they'll have a bit more firepower than Cambridge can manage.
0: Um, Chris Sean Derry is the manager there. Did your paths cross QPR related? You weren't quite uh, there at the same time. He wasn't.
2: He had left by the time I'd gone there, but I've met him a few times and you know spoken manager speak, so to speak. So um, and he he's a bright manager, uh, very pragmatic about the way he goes uh, about his business. I'm very pleased to see what he's done there. You know he bounced back really well after the Notts County situation, and um, you know he's really learning his trade. And he's, he's probably be one for the future to, to be coaching at a much higher level than he is now. Is that a good club to be at, to, to learn your trade, somewhere well, like that, Cambridge? Cam, Cambridge is good. I mean, they've got some some good uh, people behind them. I mean, you know, Mark saggers from Talk Sport, he's one of their supporters. You know, you've got people like that in in that area really um, giving them a push and, 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 and really bringing them up. But... Uh, someone like Sean, I think, is is probably the right sort of person that that can uh, bring a club like that to the next level.
0: Matt, don't tell us about Giovanni Brown yet. We'll save him for later. But on on, on the whole, what did you think of Cambridge at the weekend? Decent side, aren't they?
1: Yeah, they're, they're a decent side. They came up against a Chesterfield side that Sean Derry said were full of confidence after they got that first league win under... Jack Lester in the week, and the conditions were pretty awful, to be honest, not quite as bad as they were in Bolton QPR, (laughs) but the wind was swirling in off the fence, and uh, Cambridge were going long in the first half, up to their two strikers there, uh, Igpizu and Ibire, but the ball kept catching in the wind and flying back at them in Chesterfield, who were playing it on the ground, obviously did quite a bit better and and gained more ground there, but then in the second half, Cambridge had the wind, and so... (laughs) You had Giovanni Brown, who uh, was flying down the wing and uh, scored the uh, wind-assisted free kick and then um, was involved in the second as well. And I thought Cambridge played pretty well. To be honest, they lost uh, Luke Berry to Luton in the summer and he was their top scorer last season, goal-scoring attacking midfielder, scored 22. So they finished 11th last year, they're in 11th now. Sean Davies done pretty well to adapt to the loss of one of his key players there and and, uh, stabilise the team.
0: They're they're very much about getting up to the big lads, aren't they? Uh, Two massive strikers. They are, uh, yeah. I was
1: impressed with it. Pisa actually uh, at the weekend. He he played pretty well. He's good at holding it up, but he's got quite quick feet as well. And a couple of times he managed to wriggle into the box. Iberia was quite quiet. He scored a lot of goals at Carlisle. Um, he missed a great chance in the first half where he was found on a penalty spot and, and blasted it over the bar. And in the second half he wasn't too involved either. But this is a new tactic actually for Sean Day this season. Apparently he played one last season for for most of the campaign in, in attack, but this this year uh, one so obviously with. Uh, Luke Berry playing just off him but this year he's gone to two to try and get more goals and try and bring a, a bit more impetus at home and the difficult thing about that is when you do go behind how do you really take a take a striker off and so when Chesterfield took the lead they had to persist with the two up top and even though Berry wasn't really involved in the game Uh, You know, they they had to stick with that formation.
0: I felt very sorry for Chesterfield. Um, We spoke about them last week. Jack Lester's gone in there. The club's not in a very happy place um, looking at the possibility of consecutive relegations. But they started really well. And once again, the thing that we'd looked at last week, the the speed with which they're moving the ball about. I mean, the, the, the situation looks terrible for them in the league table, but I still think they're going to make it out of there.
1: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Port Vale Betty and I took a little look at Chesterfield
0: at half-time, actually.
1: They were 2-50 to 1 to go up, and uh, they, they were definitely the better team in the first half, and they took the lead uh, just after the break. Actually, it was a bit of an interesting situation because Scott Wiseman, the left-back, played really well in the first half. He linked up with Andy Kellett well down that left flank. And only about 10 minutes into the second half, he was brought off by Jack Lester, who clearly wasn't happy with something. And uh, Matty Briggs came on, the former Fulham youngster. And... Wiseman and Leicester seemed to have a bit of an exchange when Wiseman came off the pitch. I think Wiseman said, you know, I'm not I'm not injured, I'm perfectly fine. And Leicester sort of said, you know, you weren't getting up the flank or you you, you weren't attacking enough. And for whatever reason, he wasn't happy with his performance. So Matty Briggs came on, uh, set up Chesterfield's opener after just a couple of minutes there, beating Piero Mingoya, the Cambridge winger, who... Uh, it helps a real mismatch because I think Mongolia is about five foot four and Briggs is about <laughs> six foot two but uh, he, he set up the, um, the opener for Christine Dennis and then I just saw Leicester shoot a look to the bench obviously in Scott Wiseman's <laughs> direction perhaps as if to suggest uh, well you know you can see why I'm the manager now but Funny thing about that is that then Briggs gave away the free kick from which Giovanni Brown scored the equaliser, and also Cambridge's winner came from that side of the pitch. So maybe Scott Wiseman shot his manager a look later on.
0: Oh What a tangled web we weave! Have you ever had a player question your authority in public?
2: Many. Oh really? Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, not in public, but uh, they, they, they question you all the time. The players, you just got to have the answers. Yeah. Yeah. And so
0: back yourself. And... Yeah,
2: well, you back yourself. I mean, players like everybody in and around football think that they know. Um, Everything tactical and everything technical, but but they don't. And uh, at the end of the day, you're the one getting the blame. So, what you say goes.
0: <laughs> will, will Jack Lester have seen that as, as quite a you know a, a sort of test of his authority? Just three four games into his managerial career, and he's got someone on the bench giving him hassle. Um, Yeah, I I mean
2: he's probably going to have to squash that pretty early so that the other players realise that he's not going to take any nonsense and I'm sure he would have dealt with it in his own fashion after the game either with uh, a little pull to the side and uh, the riot act red or um, let let the rest of the players know that that's not acceptable.
0: All right, well, we've held off long enough. Uh, Let's talk about Giovanni Brown, Matt, um, because when an idiot like me can watch five minutes of a football match and go, who's that bloke? The number 20. Um, He looked fantastic. I believe he was a forward before. He was playing central midfield here, but very straight-backed, head-up, always looking to run, always looking for options, always making things happen, and then he scored one and and assisted one in the second half as well. He's... um, He's got quite a history, hasn't he? He's 23, so still relatively young. Um, and he did start at Peterborough, but what happened there?
1: He was actually released by Peterborough for what was described as off-the-field incidents. And mm. the club have never really made too much of a comment on this, but there was another player who left at the same time, Shaq McDonald. And when Shaq McDonald joined the club, there was a lot of high hopes from at Peterborough. So clearly something went on there. that resulted in those two players leaving before the end of the contracts and both dropped into non-league. Um, and yeah, Giovanni Brown. He's had quite a. Uh...
0: <laughs> yes, he's he's had quite. He's he's got quite the Wikipedia page. Uh, goes from Peterborough to Langford, Barton Rovers, Wingate and Finchley, Arsley Town, Kettering Town, Arsley Town, Stamford, and then Saint Neots Town before Cambridge pick him up. He had a trial at Birmingham City as well. Saint Neots Town have been brilliant. I've been you know trawling through the internet, and um, they they were more than happy for him to leave. They're very much like this. kid is far too good for us. You've got to get him into the Football League. And looking at his performance, I honestly don't know if I'm completely overreacting based on one match. Um, But he looks like he's got the ability to play much higher than that. I mean, Chris, you you worked on that Jamie Vardy project. It it looks like a goldmine out there.
2: Well, listen, basically, sometimes you have players that have things going on in their lives that we don't see. And they go into football clubs where it's probably a little bit unforgiving as regards what goes on in, a, you know, away from the from the football club. And uh, he sounds like he's he's probably been I wouldn't say difficult to manage, but you know he's probably needed the right person to put their arm around him or 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 give him the stick to push him along. Um, but there are players out there with it, you know that, that are late bloomers that are going to come into it like hit like uh, Giovanni and um, hopefully he'll stay in there and, and realize what a privileged profession it is.
0: You're a big fan of him, Matt. You you were asking some Cambridge fans about him, weren't you?
2: Yeah, they were really excited with the way he's been playing this season.
1: I think he's sort of been eased into the team. He hasn't been starting every week, but he started at the weekend and. He played fairly well in the first half. I think he set up the chance actually for Barry that he should have scored. And then the second half, he was just flying. It was like, like I say, it was like he sensed the wind behind him, <laughs> and the turn for his uh, the, for, the, for the chance that he set up for the end where Ikpiazu found the winning goal. The little turn he took on the right hand oh, side to cut, it? To, to cut in, yeah, it was brilliant. And he he looks like a, a real talent that, that Cambridge have done well to pick up because he scored nineteen goals in nineteen games for St. Ott's Town last season after joining them halfway through the season and what, you know, what, exactly what we've talked about is that Cambridge need more goals and they need support for those two front men and he seems to play to link it all together
0: Now, what, what's a day out at Cambridge like then? Um, most people have certain ideas connected to the university area but it's, it's actually two miles out of town, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't actually walk through the city at all because you can
1: walk from the train station straight to the ground and uh, it's through some really dull residential states and then across a, a big open field actually a meadow, that's common ground with a load of cattle grazing on it. <laughs> Where did you go? <laughs> well, but yeah, well, the stadium is right adjacent to the, to this uh, this field and it was but it's a it's a great city Cambridge. I've spent quite a bit of time there actually and it's got some of the best pubs you could ever wish to find. So if you do go, don't do what I did it and, and get there on the train and then shoot off afterwards straight away. Spend a bit of time there and go get yourself a nice pint. Sounds like a good atmosphere uh, as well at the stadium. It was a really good atmosphere. The, the stadium's an interesting one because they tried to redevelop it, I think it was around a decade ago or so now, when they, they had a bit of money before they dropped out of the league and they, they started this project and they built one stand and the plan was to move the pitch closer to that stand and redevelop the opposite stand at the other end of the, the pitch and, and bring that one a, a bit closer as well. But in the end, they obviously you know struggled, fell out of the league, got into financial difficulties. And so you've just got this gap now between one stand <laughs> and the pitch where they had these mini practice pitches. So it's difficult for the fans in that stand to really build any sort of atmosphere. But but everywhere else, you know, the fans were really behind the team and and the team responded to that in the second half.
0: All right, so if I wanted to go to Cambridge, how would I go about doing that? You could drive in, but there's no parking
1: available for away fans. God there is dammit. some parking to be had on the streets surrounding the stadium, though, so you know you shouldn't have too much of a walk. If you do what I did and take the train, make sure you get off at the new Cambridge North Railway Station, which is only a short walk. Don't get off at the main Cambridge Railway Station, because then you'll have to walk for about 45 minutes. <laughs> uh, ticket prices for adults, it's 16 to £20, pounds, and there's uh, quite a few standing sections there as well, or under 18, it's only £8. Pounds. Cambridge, if you listen to this on Tuesday when the pod's released, they're actually playing Tottenham Hotspur under-16s. The, the under-16s have a game at the Abbey Stadium and the club were giving this a big push because it's, it's great for their academy to be facing sides in the Premier League. And they've got Manchester United and Chelsea later this season as well. So tickets are only £5 for that. So do look out for that one.
0: Lovely stuff. Thank you very much. Um, so we we've had a lot of questions, and um, do always send in your questions. You can get to us on Twitter at the Totally Show or on Facebook at the Totally Football Show, and um, we've had loads today. Um, first of all, the wonderfully named Joe Ripcord. He says Ipswich have stagnated. Do they stick or twist with Mick McCarthy? Chris, you come across Mick?
2: Yes, I know Mick. Uh, no, stick with Mick. I mean, he's just he's good um passionate about the game, very knowledgeable um has worked you know in difficult circumstances and you know now and again Ipswich ended up in in the playoff positions but no he's definitely he's got to stick with 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 Mick.
0: The finances aren't particularly pretty there I think they're over 100 million in debt so I'm not sure they're going to be funding any huge transfer spending sprees. Matt what would you do if you owned Ipswich? I'd recall Kiefer Moore in January. That's <laughs> probably the best thing. And probably try and draw a few games as
1: well. I mean, they haven't drawn yet this season. They won six, lost six. They started really well, didn't they? Um, but yeah, I saw a few stats guys that focus on the football league were, were saying, you know, they wondered whether that form was going to last because they actually managed to, to score quite a few goals from very limited number of shots on target and limited number of chances overall. So I think that's starting to bear out.
0: Uh, Chris, if QPR don't get promoted, who will from the Championship?
2: Very difficult, and I can see Aston Villa going going up there. Wolves, um, in my opinion, are going to be there. Um, I would look at those two really.
0: Okay, Mark Maggetzi uh, he says, "What will happen first? Will the sun explode, or will Sunderland win a game?" All data suggests that both scenarios are millions of years away. Matt, well, Sunderland have already won a game, so. <laughs> but will they win another before the end of
1: humanity? I'd like to think so, but definitely with Sunderland, there are no guarantees.
2: It just needs a little run just to get them, you know, firing again. I can't see them anywhere near the the top of the league or the playoffs. They need to really get the harmony of the club back to to where it usually is, you know, up there um, with with the great fans that they've got.
0: Um, With Sean Deitch being linked with the Everton job, Matt, I wish I could remember who sent this question in. Um, Is there anyone Burnley should be looking at as a manager from the Football League to replace him? Should he be needed to be replaced?
1: Yeah, I think there's probably the standout candidate is Chris Wilder at Sheffield United. And he's done a fantastic job over the last few years. He took Northampton up from League Two in 2016 and then took over at Sheffield United. Got them promoted last season. They're third in the championship at the moment and
0: only outside of the top two places on on goal difference. Even though no one's heard you yet, I can hear the keyboards clattering. Thousands of Sheffield United fans going, shut up, shut up, shut up.
1: Well, perhaps that's where my second suggestion comes Go in, on. because this Paul Cook, who's at Wigan at the moment, and, and they're flying in League One, and he's actually a former Burnley player, and he's got a great record as well, and perhaps deserves a chance at, at a higher level, he, uh, he started out at Sligo Rovers over in Ireland, and uh, won a bit of silverware there, and then at Chesterfield, he had a brilliant time at Chesterfield, he took them up from League Two, got them into the playoffs in League One the next year, when he finished sixth, so... That's really before everything started to go wrong at Chesterfield. And then last year, he took Portsmouth up from League Two. So he's going to get Wigan back to the Championship. I'm certain of that this year. And he's someone who you know could be, with his Burnley connections, a person to consider.
0: Chris, one for you from uh, Ed Quoth, the Raven, friend of the show. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday had a man sent off on four minutes last weekend. When you're managing a team, do you prepare for that eventuality? Do you have a sort of backup plan for if you have to do the whole game with 10 men? It
2: depends man? who goes off. You know, it, it depends who goes off of it. I mean, if, if you look at it, really, my default is always go to 4-4-1. Four, four, uh, four, four, um, but it really depends on, on who, who gets sent off and who's on your subs bench.
0: As a, as a manager, if that happens, is there a kind of sense of, oh, well, whatever happens now, I can't get the blame? Well,
2: you'd like to think so. You still get the <laughs>
0: <laughs> Um That is all we've got time for. Uh, again, if you want to get in touch on Twitter, it's at The Totally Show. On Facebook, at The Totally Football Show. We haven't yet decided who we're going to be looking at next week, so get in touch and let us know where you want us to send Matt. There's, of course, a full set of Football League fixtures on this weekend. Good luck to your team, whoever they are, unless they're playing Southend. Uh, if you want to watch on TV on Friday night, Leeds United, Sheffield United. That should be an absolute corker on Saturday, Hull City against Nottingham Forest, and on Sunday, the big one, Birmingham against Aston Villa. They're all on Sky Sports Football. Thank you so much for listening. Chris, you've been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank Matt, thanks for coming in. Great to be here. Thank you very much. See you next Tuesday. The Totally
3: Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email us at sales at muddyneesmedia.com.